today on Ag News Daily. When, once the new year come and they go into holiday, the buying stops, they pull back, and that's when the markets are vulnerable to some kind of a you know, hole in demand and a setback in the market. So I would not want to get myself too far out into that area, not having some cash price for those for those time frames. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. The girls are back in town, as they say. Delaney Howell joined alongside Cassidy Zirkle today, sponsored today by BASF, helping farmers do the biggest job on earth. Cassidy, did you like my intro there? I thought that was kind of creative for me. Yeah, very creative, Delaney. I love it when we get to have a girl power episode. Me too. There's certainly... A different dynamic to having you on as opposed to Tanner. He's a little sassier to me. You're nicer to me, I've noticed. (laughs) Yeah, Tanner sometimes uh, has a good dynamic with me. I think he maybe gets a little too big for his britches when y'all are. Mm. Yes, that's a good way to uh, good way to call that. But we're giving him a break today. They're having some breakdowns in the field. So Tanner, if you're listening to this after we've recorded today, we hope that everything is going a little smoother because breakdowns certainly aren't fun, especially when you're this close to getting wrapped up today, Cassidy. We are recording just ahead of today's crop progress or crop harvest report numbers are released, but I'm guessing we're going to see pretty close to being done here for at least the corn side of harvest today, but we'll definitely have more to report on that tomorrow. Yes, it's exciting to see harvest wrapping up. We had our last Farmer Friday episode last week, so we'll be moving into some different content going into the winter. We certainly will, Cassidy. Jumping into our first piece of news here today, we've got some updated rumors on the rail shipper strike that we've been reporting on now for a few months. The few different unions that are labor unions that are part of this ongoing discussion have indicated that a potential strike could be near again here November 19th. The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees, otherwise known as BMWED, is one of the largest union groups here that represent rail workers. And they voted against the ratification of the tentative agreement that was reached on October 10th. They said on October 26th, that they had rejected this tentative agreement. And as of November 7th, seven rail unions voting for the tentative agreement have said, have not said what they have voted. Two unions have voted no, and three unions are still voting. So we don't have a really firm decision one way or the other, as quite a few of those large rail unions still have yet to vote, Cassidy. But could see a strike upon us on November 19th if we don't see the vote go in a positive direction. Yes, Delaney, and I'm sure if the vote does go in the positive direction, we'll still be keeping a close eye on the rail industry as we have most of this year. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely not out of the woods yet. Another association that works pretty closely with some labor unions here in the Pacific Northwest is the Pacific Northwest Hydrogen Association. And the Washington State Department of Commerce released a press release saying that the PNWH2 has submitted a request to the DOE for a bid for part of their $8 billion in investment in nationwide network of clean hydrogen hubs. So the association is saying that they would like to 
put in one of these hydrogen hubs in either Washington or Oregon to help decarbonize industrial sectors like aviation, steel, trucking, and other things like that. Well, Cassidy, that's a very timely topic because this week we've got COP27 going on in Egypt, which is kind of a place of brain power, really, to talk about a lot of different issues impacting climate change. But this year's COP27 is largely focused around sustainability and how we as an industry do our part in you know, downgrading and impacting climate change, especially on the agricultural footprint. But there's been a lot of interesting remarks coming out of COP27 as well, as we continue to see new geopolitical events hit the pipeline, specifically now that Brazil's election is finalized and we have President Lula stepping into office He's hoping to unite rainforest nations and tap into funding that will be discussed this week at COP27. He has been urged to use COP27 as a way to quickly form forest alliances and rainforest alliances, of all things, that could bring bargaining power with donors or bring in some new money to potentially help rebuild some of the rainforest and uh, deforestation that we saw under uh, President Bolsonaro's reign. This, of course, is a very important issue for Lula, has been to place a higher value on the uh, the environmental footprint of Brazil. And really, we're going to see maybe a complete shift here from one political extreme to the other. But during the Bolsonaro administration, we saw a little bit more relaxed environmental regulations. We saw a little bit more deforestation of farmland or forest land that turned into farmland. And Lula has definitely given an an indication, Cassidy, that things could be quickly shifting back the other direction. Well, Delaney, that is interesting. After Friday's episode, Tanner and I touched a little bit on COP27 and how fitting it is that it's in Egypt this year because of all of the food insecurity issues being faced in Africa. So hoping to hear some news for food relief in the African continent and across the world come out of COP27. Yeah, this week will definitely be the week to stay in tune with that. I'm sure we'll have more to report on that conference later this week, Cassidy. But what else is in the news for you today? It was a little bit of a slower news day on this Monday, I got to be honest. Yes, I definitely had to search a little deeper today to get some news, but I did find, I know we probably reported last week about U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack announcing $375 million for grants to go to smaller meatpacking facilities. Some details have come out about this that it includes two facilities in Nebraska, Lot 279 LLC in Wisner and Greater Omaha Packing. And this will help both of them increase their capacity. And the thought behind this from the USDA is to obviously decrease the market share of the big four that have we've been fighting as a beef industry for quite some time now. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I had seen that headline come out last week and I don't I think we failed to report on that. So I'm glad you're on top of that today, Cassidy. But before I get to my next piece of news, I wanted to remind our listeners we are sponsored today by BASF. 
And crop disease is present weeks before it can be seen with the naked eye, which means the wait and see spray approach you may always have taken when scouting your fields is waiting too long. But Veltima's fungicide proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility improves yield potential even in the absence of disease. Every bushel counts, so make sure you get everything you deserve this season with Veltima fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions, Cassidy. But hopping into some other news today, U.S. farm exports are expected to rise 14% in 2023 to a record high, boosted largely by increases that we've seen in all U.S. ag sales categories. U.S. farm exports mushroomed to a record $196.4 billion in the fiscal year that ended September 30th, according to some new data we saw released by the Commerce Department. These sales were 14% higher than where we saw in 2021 fiscal year and higher than what USDA had forecast. They said most notably, China increased their production of U.S. agricultural imports. And of course, due to some of the flux we saw in the Black Sea region, we saw some new buyers step into the marketplace, Cassidy. But will that trend remain for the new year that started October 1st is the large question. The global outlook for 22 and 23 is growing a little bit more uncertain due to the continued downside risk of inflation, of borrowing capital, of input costs and things like that. So 2023 may be one of the final years here we see in this up cycle, according to some analysts. Well, Delaney, I have to assume that the almost nationwide drought that we experienced this year has to have some effect on our ability to export as much as well. Yes, that's a, a good call, Cassidy. We would just won't have maybe quite as much product of some things, especially wheat this year either. Exactly. And a study came out of California just recently kind of detailing how bad the drought was for them this year. It says that there were 12,000 lost jobs, $3 billion in economic loss, and 752,000 acres were fallowed. Mm, I believe it. That's a lot. And I, I have to say that this drought as we've been reporting all summer, has been that bad or even more severe across the country. So we'll see how that affects those export numbers. Yeah, I'm sure. And you probably even saw some of that when you guys were making the move up to uh, Washington. Yes, ma'am. I did mean to share some. I didn't get very many great pictures out of the window of our U-Haul, but we did pass quite a bit of burnt farmland uh, through Idaho and Oregon. Mm, just something you hate to see hate to see, especially during harvest season when things are supposed to be, you know, somewhat bountiful. But Cassidy, before we talk markets, I just wanted to make a quick mention. It's hard to believe we're already to the November WASD report, which comes out at 11 a.m. on Wednesday morning. But traders are largely expecting production numbers for corn to be cut about 12 million bushels compared to last month. We're also expected to see corn yield come down maybe just slightly, not even a half bushel 
not even a tenth of a bushel per acre really is what uh, analysts are expecting right now for the corn balance sheet. On the soybean balance sheet, reporters are expecting to see soybean yields come in at a 49.85 versus a 49.8 last month. And the carryout is actually expected to increase 212 million bushels to a total of 212 million bushels. So not a huge increase there. But like many of our listeners know, the USDA often has other intentions for what comes out of that report. So while that might be average analyst expectation right now, buckle up and see what actually happens on Wednesday, Cassidy. Always kind of a show to grab your popcorn for when the WASD report comes out, just to see That's what right. Twitter reacts at least. My last little piece of news here is to talk about a sector of ag that is growing rapidly, which is augmented reality in agriculture. So in 2021, it was valued at 0.84 million, and it is expected to be up to 4.89 million by 2027. So just a little tip to, while this part of the the sector of agriculture is small, it is growing and maybe something to invest in or look into for some of our listeners. Yeah, I tell you what, I've seen a lot more companies using VR headsets and virtual reality um, options as a way to share their programs and their products and offerings with customers. Pretty interesting that that's going to be an up and coming market. Absolutely. Um, Delaney, before we jump into markets here, I'll give a last message from our sponsor, BASF. HPPD resistant weeds are on the rise and marching towards a field near you, but your cornfield doesn't need to be a battlefield. There's another way to defeat these weeds. Switch tactics with Verdict herbicide powered by Kixor herbicide technology. As a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide, it helps break resistance before the battle gets to your field. Help stop HPPD-resistant weeds with Verdict herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Well, Casty, before we jump into the markets here with Sean Hackett, let's take a quick look at where things ended for today. We certainly saw weakness in the corn and soybean markets, wheat, unfortunately, uh, also pulled lower on the day. New crop December corn closed five and a quarter cent lower at 675 and three quarters. January soybeans closed 12 cents lower at 1450. December Chicago wheat down two pennies on the morning at the close here at 845 and three quarters and in livestock. We saw green across the screen. December live cattle added a dollar forty to close at a buck fifty three oh five. January feeders added thirty cents on the day, settling at one seventy nine ninety two and a half. And December lean hogs added four dollars and seven cents. That is limit up here today to close at eighty seven oh five. Cassidy, without further ado, let's kick it into our conversation with Sean Hackett. Well, folks, chatting today with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, it's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast, so welcome back. Always glad to be on your show, Delaney. Um, what you do for farmers is always fantastic. Great to be a part of it. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate what you do for farmers too, because you keep us in tune and in check with what's going on in the markets. Sean, let's talk today. What was going on in the grain markets here? I thought maybe we'd finish on a high note in wheat, but not even wheat could pull through today. Yeah, I just, I think we're we're starving. We're trying to find new news. The uh, Ukraine-Russia story doesn't seem to uh, be front burner right now. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems like, and then we had this uh, rope-a-dope on Friday with the reopening rumors from China, and then they negated it over the weekend. Um, so, and, it's, and we're just a little bit too early for Mother Nature down in South America to really impact the market in terms of worrying about production until we get to December. So I think we're just stuck in this impasse, and, and we're not finding anything to give the grain markets a bullish direction right now. Now, Sean, could Wednesday's WASD report give markets a bullish direction or what are you expecting to see? I really feel we've dialed in the U.S. crop, um, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. I, I, I think we've already traded that. I don't really think that the USDA is going to make any major changes to the ending stocks numbers. I really think the next, you know, the market's shifting its gears now towards what kind of production potential does South America have, given that we have a pretty good idea, you know, where we are with U.S. production, you know, and and, and even the river flow issues and the lower export potential and shipments, you know, I just think these are stories that the market has has traded, they've accepted, and I just don't think this is going to be one of those reports that we're expecting big volatility. Sean, what is something at this point in the year that you think we're going to see some volatility from. I mean, we've seen a little bit of a lower dollar, so that should be supportive for exports. But at some at some time here, I would think that the markets have to shift directions. Yeah, I think the two real keys right now are what happens ultimately to the Ukraine-Russia corridor grain deal. Um, you know, there's been a lot. It's on again, it's off again. But you know, what, what actually happens What's the long-term picture there? And mm-hmm. secondly, South Brazil and Argentina drought, you know, are becoming an issue, especially for corn, as they're actually not planting all the acres and starting to shift to maybe planting more soybeans. If that, you know, really starts to get into the key month of December, even though Brazil's looking good so far, I think the market is on edge enough with the ending stocks being tight it will start to react and find a new story to trade. I really think this time of the year, that's really what we're looking for. Yeah. What do you expect to see for today's uh, crop harvest report numbers? You think we're going to be done today? I mean, I think statistically we're going to be pretty much done. You know, there's always a few corners left to do, but I, I think pretty much we've had a great harvest season for overall dry weather until the tail end here. But for the most part, I think most farmers have gotten them, you know, gotten the grain in the bin or sold what they had to sell. So. Now, Sean, I'm sure you just like other analysts have been watching this Ukraine deal very closely here on again, off again, but the current agreement expires here in about 12 days. So have we traded out the news already if Russia walks away from the deal yet again? Well, I don't, you know, I mean, we've, we've, we've traded that potential, but then, and then, but then that potential comes back. So I, I think the market's going to be a little nervous, uh, Delaney. I think as we get closer to that date, you know, the market's going to be looking for signs of what's happening. And I think that's clearly where some, 
price volatility, especially in the wheat market, to a lesser extent in the corn market. You know, I don't have an edge on knowing how the geopolitical uh, cards are going to be played um, like anybody else. I have a sneaky suspicion that as we go into the winter time, this might be, unfortunately, a bargaining chip that Russia will use to try to gain advantage of maybe getting some of these sanctions to be removed. I hope it's not that because that means people's lives are at risk. But I have a sneaky suspicion they may see this as an opportunity to do that. If that's true, the wheat market could catch some upside volatility as we approach that critical date. Yeah, where do you see that upside potential? Where's the top of that going to be? Every time we have traded geopolitical worries over the Ukraine Russia corridor deal. We've seen the, I, I, I always try to look at uh, SRW, Chicago Bar Trade Week, because it's the most actively traded. We've tended to find ourselves in that mid nines very repeatedly. And then when we worry, don't worry about it as much, we go back to the low to mid eights. That's sort of been the trading range. But if we actually don't renew it and the market believes that's a more permanent feature, um, it wouldn't surprise me, Delaney, if we were to take out that upper end range and maybe trade ourselves, you know, into that 10, 10 and a half overhead resistance that the charts, you know, really show up as the next level that the market might want to go to to price in a more uh, elongated period of lack of grain coming out of Ukraine. And the other side of this equation, Sean, is that hard red wheat has been having declining conditions each week on the crop progress or crop conditions report, I should say. How much premium can we add into the marketplace there if those numbers continue to decline? I think there's a limit, Delaney, at this time of the year. Most people will look at crop ratings going into dormancy and yields after um, spring weather is over, and, and there's not that much of a correlation to it, meaning spring weather coming out of dormancy is still the most important uh, fundamental that determines you know, crop yields in the end. Um, but what it does do is it, it, it would certainly bring uh, winter kill risks more to the forefront, because if you go in with weaker conditions, weaker stands, it does make the crop more vulnerable to winter kill, winter kill at less cold temperatures than if it was in very strong standing. So so there, that might lead to some volatility if we get some extreme cold weather that dives down you know, into the southern plains. Sean, let's take things over to livestock today because they certainly had a good day, especially in the lean hog market there, especially in the December contract. What was going on today that caused such positivity? Well, first of all, you know, we were trading well below cash as we get closer and closer to expiration of the contract. That can only persist for so long. Either cash comes down or the futures has to come up. Secondly, when we look over at China's hog price, very, very strong. We look at China's pork price, very, very strong. I think they've four or five times they've dumped cold storage pork supplies at a reserve to try to keep the pork price down. It says they have a major pork shortage, and typically pork's a key food item as they move into their new year holidays in January and February. We think, you know, we saw some business come in from China last week for U.S. pork. We think the market's starting to get comfortable that, you know, they may really come in and be sizable buyers of U.S. pork at a time, you know, that our, that our herd size or animal feeding units, you know, we're just, we're just not growing the herd here in the U.S. Um, and I, so I think that sets up a pretty exciting potential for a strong finish to the hog 
price for the into the year end and gives hog producers an opportunity to get some really good cash sales and profitable cash sales on the books. Yeah. So how far out are you advising folks look right now to make some cash sales? I I, I think that, you know, this is an opportunity that you know, we can go out and make some, you know, first quarter cash sales. I would even be thinking about making some spring cash sales on pork. Uh, I mean, on the, uh, on the hog price, if we get the kind of surge, I think we might get here. I think, you know, when, once the new year come and they go into holiday, the buying stops, they pull back, and that's when the markets are vulnerable to some kind of a you know, hole in demand and a setback in the market. So I would not want to get myself too far out into that area, not having some cash price for those, you know, for those time frames. Awesome. And Sean, really quickly here, your thoughts today on the cattle complex. Well, I kind of think, you know, in terms of the feeders, they already had a sizable setback on the strong corn price. It does look like corn prices might be rolling over technically here. We might get a less favorable USDA report. Some are suggesting um, that always helps the feeders, you know, kind of bring some buyers in. And remember, we have an election tomorrow mm. and it's widely expected. And normally midterm elections do tend to go to the other political side of the aisle um, and it in everything would appear that we might do that again, that a lot of times brings a lot of optimism in the stock market that we might see, uh, you know, better policies, maybe a, a improved ec- economic outlook ahead. And oftentimes the live cattle market, the fats tend to like to, to follow a strong stock market because the stock market is a future indicator of demand. And so I think there's something today going along with the stock market being strong ahead of these elections and maybe some speculators betting on some follow through, uh, you know, buying as we go through the elections tomorrow and have some kind of a honeymoon rally in stock in the stock market potentially. Awesome. Well, Sean, before we let you go, if any of our listeners would like to touch base with you, tune in and listen to what you're sharing, how can they find you? Um, our website is the best place at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. As you know, Delaney, we have all kinds of information that talk about our weather work, capital flows work, how we make our recommendations to our customers to see if what we do might be some value to your listeners. Fantastic, Sean. Well, with that, uh, thanks again for joining us today. We'll have you on again real soon. Looking forward to Laney and keep up your great work. Well, Delaney, always fun to listen to you talk markets and learn a little bit from you and the guests that you have on. Absolutely, Cassidy. I have to admit, uh, I'm not quite as, wasn't quite as in tune with what markets we're doing today, but always good to get Sean's take on that. Yeah, and I'm sure no one could notice, so. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe not. Everybody's hopefully in harvest mode, though, but now they're going to start thinking back to marketing because we've got grain to market. So good conversations we've got here moving forward on the podcast. But Cassie, we're going to have some great conversations the rest of this week and our listeners want to stay tuned for that. And next week, we'll be hitting the road in Kansas City for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting's annual convention. Hard to believe it's here. Yes, I'm super excited. We'll finally meet in person. That's true. We will. (laughs) We will. But for now, what do you say? Should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go.